You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus ruins funerals. We learned that a few weeks ago when Jesus found the widow's son at Nain and commanded him to go back to life. And it seems like it doesn't take long for this kind of news to get out. And if you would have heard the reports that went out from that place in Nain, as as the word went all over the surrounding countries of Galilee, you would have been surprised how similar the things that the people were saying, how similar it sounded to preaching. In fact, how similar it sounded to Christian preaching. The witnesses said things like, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Now, this isn't like saying that Pastor Wolfmuller is such a cool and awesome guy, as true as that might be. Uh, These are the outbursts of genuine excitement that the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, is finally here. Could Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth, truly be the one promised by Moses and the prophets? St. Luke tells us that this report about him spread throughout all the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The reports that Jesus healed the sick, that he forgives sins, that he raised the dead, kindled something extraordinary within the hearts of two people in our gospel lesson. When the Lord returned from the country of the Gerizines, from across the Sea of Galilee, these two people pressed in on Jesus along with the rest of the crowds. But unlike the crowds, they were not merely curious about Jesus. They feared him. They loved him. They trusted him. And all of this, despite the fact that they had been suffering through the deepest and darkest hours of suffering that they had ever experienced. Now, what kind of madness is this? Who goes out of their way to trust in a man that they have probably never even laid eyes on before? Now, dear Christians, you know that this is faith. It is true Christian faith. It's fixed on Jesus. And as we will learn, it was not put to shame. And this is great hope for you because you know that your faith will not be put to shame. And so this morning we learn about faith that endures sickness and death and how this faith is filled with Jesus. Now St. Matthew writes, Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before Jesus, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now, it is really astounding and and amazing how Jairus approaches Jesus with this kind of faith, because you have to understand that his daughter, who is no more than 12 years old, was at the point of death. And St. Matthew puts it even more bluntly. He says, for brevity's sake, that her daughter had died. And yet here is Jairus, not crying out in agony over his child's body at her deathbed, but falling to his knees before Jesus to demand the impossible. He didn't care if he cut Jesus off in mid-sentence, and he didn't care if he hadn't been invited to be near Jesus. Jairus forced his way through until he had a chance to, conv- to, a chance to confess his conviction that Jesus had only need to place his hand on her flesh, and she would be restored to life. 
The, one, the only thing that he wanted in this hour of desperation was to implore Jesus to be merciful. And I think you can tell that Jesus' work of raising the widow's son at Nain was fresh on Jairus' mind. Now, do you remember what Jesus did when he raised the young man? He, he lifted out his hand to stop the funeral buyer. And then with the word of his mouth, he commanded the young man to arise. Now Jairus wanted Jesus to prove it to him. (laughs) He found Jesus to say, Lord, I heard these wonderful promises about you. Now I want them to be true for me too. This, by the way, dear Christians, is how, how we are to pray. By holding Jesus accountable to all of the promises that he has given to us in his word. To say, Lord, you have promised these things. I want them to be fulfilled in my life also. Now, how does Jesus respond? Does he say, how dare you force your way in here and interrupt? Don't you know who I am? In fact, Jesus doesn't even say anything. All he does is stops everything, points the way, and Jairus leads him out into the town and across the town to his house. And so you can kind of picture, there's Jesus surrounded by the multitude already. He gathers his disciples around him, and in this sort of stampede, they sit off across the town trying to find Jairus' house so that he can do what he did also in name, to give life back to this little girl who had died. Now, this stampeding throng also made it hard for another person to get near the Lord. But I think that her faith is no less astounding or no less amazing as Jairus' faith. So St. Matthew writes, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Now, if it took a lot of guts for Jairus to kind of push his way in to talk to Jesus, imagine how much more guts it would have taken for a woman who has been suffering from a disease to force her way through this this throng, who was off to see Jesus raise somebody from the dead, (laughs) to say, Jesus, I, I need to be healed of my affliction also. I mean, who would dare to do such a thing? Now, she knew that she couldn't get too close to Jesus because the people were pressed into too tightly around him. But she did think to herself that if only I reach out my hand and stretch and touch the fringe of his garment, then I know that I will be healed. And it happened, just as she had hoped. Now, in Mark's gospel, the account is a little more detailed. Jesus turned to look for the woman who had touched him by asking the almost absurd question, who touched me? And there, of course, Peter says, Lord, are, are you crazy? Do you see how many people are touching you right now? <laughs> but despite that fact, the woman came forward in fear and trembling. And you can understand why. I mean, her, her touch of Jesus' garment brought the whole procession to a stop. But what happened next? Did Jesus rebuke her for stopping him from saving a little girl's life? Did he get angry because of this audacious idea that if only she touched the fringe of his garment that she would be healed? No, instead the Lord smiled at her and he spoke words of mercy and grace to her. 
He said that her faith more than just healed her body, but it actually made her whole. It saved her in both body and soul. Now, dear saints, I pray that when you hear and, and, and think about these two examples of faith, you would understand that both Jairus and the woman had every reason to be bitter and unbelieving. They had every human reason to be consumed by their suffering and their grief, to be fixated on that, to cry out in rage against God, but then to cling to their suffering and grief as if that was the only thing that was truly real to them, but they don't. They teach us that true Christian faith doesn't blindly rage against death and disease, nor does it merely resolve to accept them as unavoidable. Instead, true faith fixates on Jesus, and it chases after him to beg for mercy. It holds Jesus accountable to every one of his promises, and it refuses to let him go. Now, as Jesus was preaching his impromptu sermon in the middle of the street to this to this woman who had been healed, word came to Jairus that he had waited too long to get Jesus to his house because his daughter had died. Now, you can imagine the sorts of thoughts that must have forced through Jairus' head, you know. Uh, what, if, what if Jesus hadn't stopped? What if he had continued on? Maybe we would have made it to the house in time. What could I have done different to have kept my daughter from truly dying? But it's almost as if Jesus can, can anticipate the doubt creeping in of taking his eyes off of Jesus. Because Jesus turns and says, in the middle of the report from his house, do not fear, only believe. Now if Jairus was at this point comforted and encouraged by Jesus' words, it's too bad that the rest of his household wasn't. Uh, because apparently Jesus stopped long enough to preach to the woman on the street that it gave the mourners, the hired mourners and the musicians, enough time to set up and to begin their work of wailing. St. Matthew writes, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. This commotion that fixates on death, that laughs at some of the most precious words of comfort in the Holy Scriptures, not only characterize the chaos of Jairus' household in that moment, but also the chaos of the false gospels that you hear in this world and the chaos that comes from wicked living. And so think about it. Any doctrine that's not law and gospel that you hear in Christian churches, this is a teaching that is fixated on death. It's either raging against death or it's trying to figure out ways to cheat it. Or in the case of wicked living, it's trying to figure out a way of ignoring it. And when neither of these things work, then all of our human talk about death and dying, it finally degenerates into meaningless and wordless wailing. The same sort of wailing that you know is surrounding the violence that's going on in Paris right now or even in Lebanon the day before it. This is the cacophony of misplaced faith. And it leads to despair. And it hardens hearts against true comfort. But Jesus won't 
let the cacophony drown out his voice. Because he tells the minstrels and the mourners, the people who were there to make a huge commotion over the fact that someone had died, uh, to shut up. He casts them out. In the same way as he would have cast out a demon from a person's body, he just throws them out of the house. Because Jesus wants you to hear, the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Now you and I, when we look at a loved one who has drawn their last breath, we we see someone who has lost everything, and we think to ourselves, I have lost every other opportunity to, to share an experience with this person, you know, to laugh about the same old stories, to share another Thanksgiving with them. They are lost to me. But then Jesus says, no, they are not lost to me, because I am not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. In the same way as you are able to, to wake someone up by nudging them with a touch of your hand, so Jesus shows you that he is able to bring even the dead to life with the touch of his hand and a word from his mouth. I think that the little girl is perhaps the best uh, example for us Christians today because you see that she is totally helpless and dead. She has no breath to ask Jesus for mercy, and yet Jesus comes. He takes her lifeless hand And he gives her back everything that had been taken away. Jesus wants you to hear this and to be filled with this resurrection comfort. Now I know that, especially as we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, our lives become more chaotic. Especially as we meditate on the increasing wickedness in this world, uh, we're really tempted to, to, to take our eyes off of Jesus, to take our ears off of Jesus, to not see the world as he sees it, but instead to be, uh, to learn to, instead we're learning to set our ears on how the world interprets itself to us. As a place of murder and violence, a place where, where Christians and their, and their radical belief in a God who, who judges the living and the dead is actually dangerous because look at what these other religious people are doing. It feels like in times like this that we have no control over anything, be it our own lives or anything in the world, right? But this is when Jesus comes and tells you good news. Glad tidings of forgiveness for the sake of his death and life for the sake of his own resurrection. He gives you something better than his the fringe of his robe to grab onto. Jesus comes to you and gives you his whole person, his body and his blood as a sure and certain pledge that the same thing that he said about the girl that when you that when she even though she was dead at that moment yet she is not dead to him but sleeping so he speaks that same promise to you that though you die and though you suffer yet you are still alive to him and if he has your life it is secure now philip melanchthon once wrote and uh, i thank pastor wolfmuller for pointing me on to this that true christian worship is faith fighting against despair and now you see how right that is. Because that's exactly what was happening with Jairus, who, fighting against despair, fighting against the cacophony of his house, went and found Jesus in faith to hold him accountable for his promises. It was faith fighting against despair that led the woman to press through the throng, to press through the throng to make them stop so that Jesus could save her. 
and it's faith fighting against despair when, when against the cacophony that you hear in the world that you continue to come here to this place to hear Jesus' tender words of mercy. And so draw near to your Lord with confidence because you know that he wants you to hold him accountable to all of his promises and your faith will not be put to shame. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus into life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.